This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no ease dot com. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Transpersonal Radio with Angela Lynn Gibson. Remember, your thoughts upload your reality. Think wisely and always prepare to ignite. Welcome. Welcome to Transpersonal Radio. Transpersonalradio.com. Real talk for real life. Inspiring podcasts. Exploring personal empowerment. empowerment. And transformation. Through parapsychology, spirituality, and how your thoughts upload. upload your reality. And now your host, Angela. Angela L. Gibson. Hello, Transpersonal Radio listeners. I am really excited about tonight's guest, Sean Mahoney. This should be a fun show. If you are into ghosts, hauntings, remote viewing, the paranormal, and all things psychic, stay tuned because tonight, a left brain skeptic and engineer shares his life changing experiences and some events that opened him up to an entirely new awareness. About a year ago, I was doing some research for Paranormal Insights an award-winning television show that I co-host with Joseph Ernest Martin and a lot of Transpersonal Radio listeners. You guys are familiar with that show and that I also co-host that TV show. And I made a post on Reddit asking for input on what makes a great paranormal TV show. And at that time, Sean answered my post brilliantly. And then he shared a little about himself. And after reading his story, I knew I wanted him to be on my show here to share his amazing experiences with Transpersonal Radio listeners. As I mentioned, Sean is an engineer, and he's always been interested in the paranormal, but, he says, it is the hows and the whys that really fascinate him. If something is, how does it work and why? And, of course, as you all know, that is my mantra as well, why, 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 how does it work? So I just, that right there was like, okay, this is great. We, we need to dig in here. Sean says he sort of got thrown into the paranormal a few years ago when his first daughter started to act as though she was aware of things that he and his wife were not. Sean says suddenly those hypothetical situations we would watch on Ghost Hunters became very real and we didn't know what to do. He further explained... I started to investigate what my options even were and came upon a psychic's website that said all you need to do was meditate on the intention of becoming more aware in order to do so. Sean said he was a bit skeptical and also a bit afraid. What if he started seeing things? Did he really want to open that door? It didn't take long before Sean started having experiences of his own. He was getting flashes or impressions of things that would happen in the near future. Sean admitted that even though he was getting what he was asking for, it started to freak him out because part of him still didn't fully believe what he was experiencing was possible. And what does it all mean? Sean, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to getting into a great discussion with you this evening. Oh, thank you, Angela. Me too. Now, let's start out by talking a little bit about your background prior to... Uh, so for you, I'm just going to sort of lay a little bit of groundwork here. For you, a turning point was in the year 2010. But let's back up a little bit before 2010 when you're sort of going about your life. Uh, and, and the paranormal, you say you've always had an interest in it, but I don't think it was front and center in your in your life. So let's talk about sort of that uh, area of your life. What, what were you up to? 
Okay, so uh, I was born into a military family, and we moved around a lot when I was a kid. And uh, when I was in kindergarten, we got stationed over in England. And so I lived in England for three years as a kindergartner, first grader, and second grader. So did I. Were, were, oh, you, cool. uh, were you up in the Beckrow area, Mildenhall area? Uh, so my dad was stationed at Upper Hayford Air Force Base. Okay. Um, I'm not very familiar with the geography of England. At the time, I was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we lived in a small town called Char- Charlbury, I think it was called, okay. for my first year there. And then the second uh, year and the third year, we lived on the Air Force Base. Uh-huh, but we okay. did a Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. But we did a lot of sightseeing while we were there and saw, the, you know, the castles and really, you know, some really old historic um, uh, buildings. And it, it was kind of neat because every place you went, it seemed like they had a ghost story. And I was just fascinated. <laughs> yes, England is a wonderful place for all things paranormal. Oh, uh, yes. It, and so I remember I was with my friends in first grade and we were leaving notes out uh at uh, my one friend lived in a house that was very old and uh, we would do sleepovers at his place and we'd leave notes out like trying to prompt ghosts to write on the paper <laughs> for us and That's we never cool. really had any successes there but it was fun nice so you uh, grew up in England and now I grew up in England uh, I was raised agnostic and uh, so I did not have a lot of spiritual background nothing about god or angels or anything like that however I experienced all sorts, all manner of paranormal experiences from toddlerhood up. So it was interesting, the scientific and pragmatic approach that was taken to those events. And I did have several uh, paranormal experiences in England uh, as, and Germany as well. So, and but, but, I, but I appreciate you sharing uh, the stories about the castles and the architecture of the different buildings because there is quite a bit of history there and and there are a lot of people travel from all over the world to go to England to look at crop circles and check out, you know, the haunted castles and all that fun stuff. So fascinating. Now, yeah. w- when you came to the States, uh, where where did you land? Um, so um, I, I guess I should probably add that, I mean, when we were in England, I, although I was interested in the ghosts and, and all that, I never I never had an experience of my own. Um, but I was... I always believed in it because my mom had had experiences. Mm-hmm. And so when she was younger, and so when we moved back into the States, I kind of lost my interest in the paranormal because it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't exposed to it on a constant basis. We moved to Texas um, in the San Antonio area. And, you know, life as a kid kind of, you know, um, you know, just being a normal, you know, kindergarten, not kindergartner, but uh, grade school. I was in the third grade at that time. And, you know, got into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and <laughs> <laughs> yes. all that stuff. So, yeah, paranormal wasn't really a, that much uh, in my uh, awareness anymore at that point. So, uh, for for most of my life, I had never I'd gone without ever really having anything that I would consider a paranormal experience that I could consider my own. Which is why, when I grew up to be an engineer later, um, I was very skeptical. So. Rightfully so. And, and I, I share that with you as well. So it's, it's, it, I took an interesting trajectory myself, even though I was, again, experiencing paranormal all, all along, all the years. I, I also went through a period of my time where I said, you know, that's it. I don't want to deal with any of this woo-woo stuff. I'm going to be grounded and logical and left-brained. And so I became a degreed scientist. I was going into the medical field. I went into the law enforcement field. 
However, no matter what I did, <laughs> kept coming back around, you know, and, and I kept having all these experiences. And, and so here I am today. I just, I'm, I'm embracing it. And it's been quite an adventure to say the least. Now, around 2010, you say that your world was turned upside down. So here you are going about your life and you sort of the day to day, paranormal's not really on the radar, what have you. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, here we are in 2010, and you have a health crisis. So walk us through that and tell us a little bit about what happened. Uh, so the, when the, I worked in the automotive industry, and um, around the 2008 timeframe when the economy started to really uh, decline in the United States, um, I uh, left my job in the end of 2008. And I didn't find another one until a little over two years later. Um, so for two years, I was unemployed. I, I got into a very negative state of mind. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I was very uh, depressed. I was angry. I was kind of bitter. Um, just that neg that negative cycle mm -hmm. uh, was, was just a constant thing in my mind. And we had our first daughter uh, in early 2010. And so here I was being faced with being a new parent, and I, I felt like I wasn't um, – you know, I wanted to support my family, but my wife was doing that. I felt kind of ashamed and guilty. And it was just, so it's, I don't think it's any coincidence or surprise that I started to develop uh, health problems mm -hmm. and went to the doctors that, you know, I grew up uh, going to the standard, you know, medicine doctors that, uh, you know, most of Americans uh, go to mm -hmm. and uh, they couldn't offer me any answers. You know, they did all kinds of tests on me and everything came back fine. They wanted to give me uh, antidepressants, even though I wasn't clinical in my depression, they thought it would help with my symptoms. And I knew just deep down inside, there was just this gut feeling that said, that is not the answer. Mm -hmm. Something happened to make this, uh, you know, these health problems arise. So I can do something to fix it. I just need to know what that is. And so that was the first time that I had ever really considered turning to alternative medicine, just because I had, I felt like I had no other options. Mm -hmm. And you that's know, when I got exposed to acupuncture. You share a, a, an experience that so many of us have had. And that one of the, when I was going to go into the medical field, I actually started turning away from allopathic medicine, which is traditional Western medicine, uh, because I found it to be lacking in preventative care. Allopathic mm -hmm. medicine is brilliant for trauma medicine for fixing broken bones for surgery and it absolutely has its place however i think pharmaceuticals are highly overprescribed, and we won't get into that because that's a whole discussion in and of itself uh, but i started also really looking at alternative holistic homeopathic medicine and i became intrigued at the possibilities now when you started looking into acupuncture and I believe you also sort of looked into energy healing as well. Share with us uh, what worked for you, what didn't, what you learned. Uh, so, yeah, the, I was going to um, a holistic doctor just because I, uh, you know, I, I wanted to try the alternative route. I didn't even know what to look for at first. Um, it was my mom who was kind of uh, in my ear saying, well, you know, have you tried this? I'm like, no, but it's a waste of time. But I got to this point where I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I the first thing they did was recommend dietary changes. And I thought that that was absurd, but I kind of was desperate. So I tried it anyway and I got positive results. Mm -hmm. So when I got positive results, I said, okay, what else you got? And that's when they, you know, said, well, we like to try acupuncture. I'm like, oh, okay. 
And the first time that I was exposed to it, I remember I was laying on a table and I felt kind of goofy laying there for five minutes in this room <laughs> with these three needles, you know, sticking in me. And then I, I remember I got up and I walked out to leave thinking, okay, well, that was kind of a waste. But it's kind of like if you've ever been out drinking and you're drinking a couple beers and you feel fine. But the second you stand up, you feel it all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. So when I stood up from and I started moving around after the acupuncture session, I was it's very difficult to put into words, but if I could say it was like anything, it's like I felt lighter. Wow. Uh, And so it it felt good, but it was subtle and I couldn't really, I can't describe it any more than that, but I knew that I I felt different. So I said, okay, well, I'll give that a try again too and see how this goes. Um, I didn't try any other energy medicine techniques until much later, but uh, that was my first uh, exposure to it. That's great. Now, let's talk about the nutrition for a moment because I'm really into that as well. And when you mm-hmm. say that that uh, you had some suggestions for some dietary changes, now were, were these um, suggestions such as doing uh, raw food diet or juicing or what kinds of suggestions did you receive? And when you say that you got results, do, does that mean your depression lifted? You started, you know, what kind of results did you get? Okay. Uh, it'll probably help if I just went into a little bit of detail about um, what I was experiencing. Sure. And it was, so have you ever had a little muscle twitch in your body that you yes. can feel, but nobody else has, can see? Yes. And so it's, it's not annoying. like I'm like convulsing or anything. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a tick. Having, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I started having little tiny little muscle twitches all over my body, like fireworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once every second, once every two seconds, I had this little twitch going off somewhere in my body. And it was freaking me out. I, I was worried I was in the early onset of Parkinson's or, mm-hmm. or ALS or um, I didn't know what it was. And it, I had really terrible anxiety. I was getting bad brain fog. Um, so a lot of it was neurological. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the doctors, you know, they were testing me, you know, against these neurological conditions and everything was coming back normal. You know, I did a brain CAT scan, an MRI, blood work. Uh, dexterity tests where they, you know, they make you walk a line and, you know, do these arm movements. So when I wasn't getting, you know, they said, well, we want to give you these antidepressants because we think it'll help with your muscle twitching. I was like, no, that, hmm. that's not, that's not it. You know, yeah. so um, what ended up being the, the primary thing that helped me was when they suggested a dietary change, they suggested I stop eating gluten and dairy because they said those are the two biggest offenders. They're really complex proteins that uh, the body has a hard time breaking down. And, the, you know, most commonly, if people are having health issues and they give those foods up, usually they see a noticeable difference, if that's related. About, how long, case, about how long did it take for you to start noticing? Uh, within, I would say within a day, I was wow. already feeling better. Wow. It was amazing. Um, I've talked to other people where they said it's taken longer for the stuff to get out of their system. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I ended up having was a condition they call leaky gut syndrome. And it's, I mean, it sounds kind of, uh, you know, weird, but mm-hmm. the, the lining of your intestines is, gets, is semi-permeable. So when you eat your food, it goes through your stomach and through your intestines. And then whatever doesn't get digested gets, you know, that's your waste. But so what you want to do is to absorb the nutrients from the food but block anything that's not healthy for you, right? Yes. So when that membrane starts to break down and get uh, inflamed, so you get some inflammation there, um, it starts to let undigested food proteins into your bloodstream. 
So your detox organs have to work overtime. Your immune system ramps up. You develop new food sensitivities, new allergies. And that's kind of what I was having uh, is I was reacting very badly to gluten, dairy. Soy was another offender for me. Mm. Um, And once I started avoiding those foods, I began to feel a lot better. So I still had to do some some treatment work to get rid of that condition and uh, recover. But uh, stopping the... uh, the offending inflammatory foods was the first major step to, to feeling better. Outstanding. Now, another thing happened. So here you are, you're, you're dealing with your health crisis. You're starting to get a handle on it. You're starting to feel better. You're starting to see changes through diet and acupuncture. And, and then you said you, you sought out uh, other energy healing later that we'll get into. Now, also about this time, you had a young, a young one-year-old daughter. And yeah, so... You had just moved into a new home. So tell us what happened there. Right. So uh, we moved to uh, Ohio for uh, when I got my job and my wife, you know, was able to transfer her job. And we bought an old, well, not a 1985 house, not that old, (laughs) but it had been vacant for 13 years. Really? Um, And we did some renovations when we first moved in because 1985 called, they wanted their kitchen back. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, so, you know, those are two of the the, the red flags for uh, paranormal activity, right? Well, uh, and no kidding. And you know what? It is, uh, so this is, I'm just going to interject this because a lot of the people that might be listening right now who are superstitious, 13, 13, 13 years. Oh, oh yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, so go ahead. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we renovated the kitchen and, you know, did some other things uh, to the house before we moved into it. And when we moved in, my daughter had just turned one. Um, so she was walking, just starting to say a couple words. You know, she knew uh, daddy, mama, uh, hot because the stove, you know, we were, mm-hmm. you know, we'd always tell her that the stove was hot. So she'd say hot, <laughs> you know, so um, she was getting a couple words down. But by no means could she communicate what she was perceiving. Mm-hmm. But very quickly after we moved in, she started to act very strangely, like she got she wasn't a clingy child and she became a lot more clingy to us. Like she was afraid of something. Mm -hmm. And I had watched the ghost hunters TV shows before out of just general curiosity. Um, But never in my wildest dreams that I ever imagined I would be in a situation where I would be the one having to deal with something. Um, And so I don't know how long it was before I made the realization that I was like, Oh my goodness, she is actually, acting like she's afraid of something that I can't see. Wow. And then I started to think about it and thought back to all the other times. I'm like, and I started to put the pieces together. I'm like, oh, am I going to have to call a call? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what do I, what do I do in this situation? I don't even know what to do. So let's back up for just a moment because I'm, I'm really curious. Now, what did the real estate agent say about why this house had been vacant for 13 years? Uh, so it was owned by a, uh, a guy who, so he, he, he moved in with this, so the house was built in 85 by a builder who built it for himself. Okay. He passed away in 1989 uh, by heart attack. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was in the house when he died, though. He, I think he was in another state. Okay. Uh, so his wife uh, had and his son, you know, moved out, sold the house to another family with two kids. And the last child moved out in 1998, and then the husband and wife got a divorce. Mm. And he moved in with his sister just in another neighborhood right down the street. 
And he kept the house because he wanted to give it to his kids when they graduated college. But they never came back. Interesting. So for whatever reason, he hung on to it for a really long time. And then he decided he was going to sell it. And it's it's fascinating that he didn't rent it out or it it was just just sat vacant. I'll just say he was a unique individual. (laughs) (laughs) Just personality quirks left and right. Okay. I don't know why he did the things he did, but he... An eccentric fella. Yes. (laughs) So I I just want to say a quote here because this is really interesting. You said um, this is in regards to the activities that were happening that your one-year-old was reacting to. You said, I quote, I was faced with the reality that my daughter was terrified to be in her room alone. So I was more committed to protecting her than I was afraid. I didn't even know how to meditate, so I had to find a guided audio exercise on YouTube, and I did it for 15 minutes a day after work. Now, let's talk a little bit about, were you experiencing any abnormal activity in the home, or you and your wife weren't noticing anything? It was just your daughter. It was just my daughter. My wife and I were oblivious. Um, I know that they say sometimes you get, you know, really cold spots Mm -hmm. or things move around or you know, things fall off the walls. We were getting none of that. Um, The only warning sign we were getting was that my daughter was, um, she was, she was terrified to go to bed at night without us in the room with her. So we would have to stay with her until she fell asleep. And then she slept soundly through the night, thank goodness. So we didn't have to worry about her waking up. But, uh, and then we were around the house. It's kind of the same thing. If we left the room and she was in the room alone, Mm -hmm. you know, she, she knew and she, needed to be with us so now and this isn't what you're describing what you experienced this isn't just because some people listening will say well of course she was upset she was in a brand new environment in a new home and she didn't you know she that was scary yeah perfectly Uh, rational explanation but it's interesting because now you were an air force brat i also air force brat we moved around a lot (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh you know i didn't really have that i mean i adapted to whatever environment I was in. It wasn't unless I was actually communicating with spirit realm that I had some, at that time, scary experiences myself because I didn't really understand what was happening. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is for our listeners, there are different uh, circumstances that you can differentiate between a child who's just nervous about a brand new environment and a child who's nervous or has anxiety or fear around an event that's happening to them. That's that's very true. Um, now I, I was a maybe this is part of it. I was a Mister Mom for the first nine months of her life. Uh, my wife was working and I was unemployed, so I stayed home with her. And maybe at, you know they say that you get in tune with your child. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, mothers and, and uh, daughters have the strongest bond. But I, I can't explain it. But there's just a part of me that that knew. Um, if that if that makes any sense, absolutely. But, I, I can't prove it to anyone, so I won't try. But Well, just... and, you know, that's the thing with a lot of these experiences is you can't necessarily prove them in a truly scientific manner. Oftentimes the stories are anecdotal. What I will say is I have had plenty of my own personal experiences and I have witnessed others who've had their experiences. There's absolutely something else out there, and uh, it, it, that's not even a question that I have anymore. So the purpose of you sharing your stories isn't like, oh, we're going to pick it apart and we have to prove it, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, yeah. Because, you know, I, 
when you are living something like that, it is exactly what you said. There's a knowing that something there's, it's this underlying, whether it's an underlying tension or an underlying energy, you know, there's something going on. That's not what is considered to be within the five senses realm. Yeah. And I, I, cause I can understand that, you know, a lot of skeptics might make the argument that, um, your fear uh, can really carry, you know, you can get carried away with your fear. And, oh, sure. and I've experienced that before. Um, I, I don't know. Again, it's one of those subtle things that it's really hard to um, put into words, but it's, it felt different and I can't explain it <laughs> other than that. So what now, when you started looking into the meditation in order to, uh, I tune into the frequency, I guess, of what was in your home. Is that correct? Um, honestly, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. And so uh, when I started doing just web searches of what do you do if you have a ghost in your home? Uh-huh. I wish I bookmarked the page, but I found the self-proclaimed psychics webpage that said, you know, let, you know, you've read the quote earlier, but mm-hmm. um, if you meditate on the intention of becoming more aware, uh, you can become more aware. So that was my sole intention was, okay, if there's something here, I want to be aware enough to, so that I can know what to do. You know, if there's something bugging my daughter, I want to be aware of it too. That's Um, right. That was my sole intention. And you said it started to work. (laughs) Yeah. So it, um, it's kind of funny that I, I never really became aware of what was in the house, but I was having other experiences. It didn't take very long before, um, I was getting intuitive flashes of things that would happen very soon after I would have the flash. So this was around the August 2011 time frame. And if you recall, there was about an eight and a half uh, magnitude earthquake in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. No, no, no. It was 5.8. It wasn't 8.5. That would be that would be devastating. Um, devastating. It was a 5.8, I believe. And the Washington Monument cracked. And so the day of that earthquake, I was walking through my building where I work here in Ohio, and I was going to a meeting across the street. There was nobody in the lobby, and it was uh, it was just quiet, empty. I'm walking through, and all of a sudden, it's like there's an overlay of the room in my mind's eye, and everything starts shaking. But yet, with my physical senses, I could tell everything was fine. And I'd never experienced that kind of a contrast in perception before, and it was the most strange experience. I, I shook it off and I was like, what in the world hmm. is that? Because the first thing that came into my mind was earthquake. But yet, everything was okay. So I was like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to my meeting, which lasted a little over an hour. And towards the end of the meeting, my boss leans over and elbows me and he shows me his uh, Blackberry. And he says, check it out. DC just had an earthquake. Wow. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> How, you know, when? He's like, oh, a couple minutes ago, just hit the news. Wow. And I was just freaking out because I was like, what in the world? <laughs> right. Now, how long had you been doing your practice of meditation? Before? I, don't, I don't recall uh, exactly, but it was not long. It, 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 it was either a couple days or it was a week. Okay. Um, it wasn't any longer than that. So, so the universe, the, the spirit realm, the paranormal realm really started opening up to you very quickly once you... So, so it's interesting because you set your intention that you wanted to experience, see, uh, to to be able to know, 
basically. And then within, we'll say within a couple weeks, you started to actually have these premonitory experiences, which is amazing. It was. Um, and it's it, it scared me, too, because I was getting kind of what I was asking for. But at the same time, there was a part of me that didn't believe anything was going to happen. And I could just say, oh, that was all nothing. And my daughter's just, you know, there's that part of you that just hopes it's nothing. But I was finding it was something. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you, you also, what you... What you ended up doing, if I recall correctly, is I think you went to some meetup groups or you found some groups in your area who were into the paranormal, who are uh, who were gifted mediums or intuitives, and started kind of opening up to them about what was happening. Uh, right. Um, I was having these experiences. Um, the earthquake was probably just one of the most powerful examples, but I was having intuitive flashes all the time. I would see falling money before rounding a corner and seeing somebody drop a dollar <laughs> in front of the vending well. machine. Or I would think of a VW bus, you know, for no reason, and then 15 minutes later, leave work, and then I'd be stuck behind one, <laughs> pulling out of the parking lot. You know, when those, those things are not that common. So That's right. Um, so I was freaking out. I was having experiences, but I didn't know what to do with it. I talked to my wife, who was very understanding, but she didn't know what to tell me. Mm-hmm. So I went again to the Internet, um, and I found meetup.com and I found a website or not a website, a, a meetup group that talks about paranormal, psychic, uh, you know, this spiritual matters. And from the, the site description, I just said, I got to meet these people. I need to, I need somebody with some experience and knowledge that can give me some guidance here. Cause I'm in way over my head and you know, I've still got this problem with my daughter in the house and I don't know what to do about that. Mm-hmm. Now, when you went to one of the meetups at one point, you actually met a medium who offered to come over and do a house clearing for you. Right. How did that go? Did it resolve the problem? Did your daughter, did it relieve that energetic uh, anomaly? It did. Okay. Uh, Wow. Despite the experiences I was having, I was still skeptical in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And this guy, he was the, you know... Just the, the vibes I was getting from all these people was just very kind, loving, gentle, very just great people. Um, he didn't want anything to come over and clear the house. He just heard my story and he thought, well, I got to, you know, I want to help. And so I offered to make him dinner at, at a minimum. I felt like I should do something mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. And so he came over and he walked through the house. And uh, from his uh, perception, he said that we had uh, three. Uh, he said one was an older female. Uh, who was very attached to my daughter. And he said there was another younger male who he said felt like he was lost and probably followed me home because he didn't, you know, he thought I might be able to help him apparently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was a small child that he said would kind of giggle and run away anytime he, you know, went into a room <laughs> where it was there. So he didn't really know what to do with that one. Um, so he did a clearing. The younger male was apparently very eager to cross over, just didn't know you know, didn't realize that he had the power to, to do that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the older female was very, uh, apparently very scared to cross over felt, you know, the impression he got was maybe more that she was, you know, afraid of judgment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just, she, she didn't want to leave and she was very drawn to my daughter, but he used his, uh, you know, he, he was a Reiki, uh, practitioner and a medium and he used both of those skills to, you know, to, to basically force her out. Um, 
gave her a choice. You either have to leave or you're crossing over, but you can't stay here. And that night, and I'll, I'll remind everybody that my daughter was still uh, just over one, uh, had zero comprehension of what we were doing. Um, and immediately that night, there was already a difference in wow. the way that she was behaving. So it was, uh, it was a stark contrast, and she only improved from there. I think there was a little bit of a habit that had been developed about being being around us, but you could tell that the urgency was no longer there. We would leave the room, and it was an urgent need that she needed to be with us. Versus if she got playing now and she was distracted, she there was no longer an urgent need to be with us. So she could be distracted, go fifteen minutes, and say, "Hey, where's mom and dad?" You know, and <laughs> a normal childhood. Just, exactly, and then she just kind of lost that whole that I need to be near you. Wow. But it, the transition was that night. Um, so I, I, again, you know, I, I'm, I'm a results-based person. You know, I saw the alternative medicine guys, they gave me results. So I said, okay, I'm going back. There you uh, go. The medium gave me results. So I went back to that spiritual group and I said, all right, teach me more. I want to know. Outstanding. And so speaking of that, before we get into that very quickly, are you still living in the same home today? I am. And never, you've never had any residual return of any uh, ghost-like so, activity. Uh, I've, I have, but uh, it's been different each time, hmm. and I believe that uh, they're they're different, different folks passing through. So that's interesting. It's almost uh, so. It sounds to me like you have some type of portal there, either on the property, the land that the home is built upon, or some somehow within the home itself. Um, well, I, I have no idea. Um, the, the, the impression I get is that, uh, we're, I'm just trying to think of the, the, the right way to say it. It's, it's kind of like spirits are, you know, they they have free reign just like we do. They can move around and mm-hmm. they can go from place to place. And if they want to follow you home, they can follow you home. And if you don't, if you're not aware of them, you're not gonna, um, you know, you're not going to know it, know it. They're not going to be intrusive. And I think the vast majority of them, are very non-intrusive. I think it's a very small percentage that are very emotionally disturbed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could, uh, I, that would be the most extreme case, but mm-hmm. some are maybe emotionally traumatized or, or disturbed and they can lash out mm-hmm. and do little things to kind of mess with people. And, um, but I don't think they're, uh, they're ever tied to one place. Uh, that's just my opinion. I, you know, take her or leave it, I guess. Yeah, you bet. So, and you know, it's interesting because there, I don't know if you've ever heard of Hans Holzer. He's um, one of my favorite all time. Uh, Hans Holzer was uh, an American paranormal researcher and he was a prolific author. I think he had over a hundred books that he authored on the paranormal and he has a book. It's, it's enormous. It's a huge tome and it's all about ghosts and just love, love, love his work. He did a lot of extensive investigations of haunted places and really goes into all the different types of uh, hauntings and ghosts, apparitions and whatnot. Um, He did die in 2009, so not too long ago. Uh, But if you ever get a chance to check out any of his work, do that because uh, with your background and what you've experienced, I think you would really enjoy what he's done and and his uh, take on it. Uh, I've personally, being a medium, I personally have experienced exactly what you're talking about. Now, I've encountered apparitions or what I call disembodied spirits, those who at one time had a physical body and then passed into the spirit realm. 
I have uh, encountered disembodied spirits who are stuck to a particular location for various reasons. And I have also had those who do travel around. Like you said, they attach themselves to a person or a place, or sometimes they are free agents, sort of what you described. The other thing that I have experienced quite prolifically once I started doing readings for people uh, were the the disembodied spirits who come in to speak to loved ones during a, a seance or during a reading. So that would go to your point that they can go where they choose to go or not. So. Yeah, and I think both are true. I, yeah, I, I think that there are spirits who are very tied or they can be, I think, attached to places, objects, people. Um, and I think there's others that, you know, just kind of roam around and they do whatever, mm-hmm. uh, whatever catches their interest. They can they can follow people or, or objects or whatever. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with the way a person dies. If it's, you know, a traumatic death or if it's a, an expected death or so on and so forth. And also, as I teach in a lot of my classes, that just like we all have personalities here in, in physical form, once you pass out of your physical form back to spirit form, you, you maintain that personality and that character. So however you are in this incarnation, that's how you are in any other incarnation. So it's really fascinating. I, um, I agree with that. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you said this started opening your eyes. It started You started sort of having an awakening, so to speak. And so you started... So, uh, investigating other areas of the paranormal. And so some of the things I want to talk about with you this evening, past life regressions, remote viewing, uh, energy healing, and, and then you actually became a certified hypnotist. So let's start with the past life regressions and talk a little bit about how, first of all, how you kind of got into that, interested in it, and did you were you able to uncover any of your past lives? Uh, yeah. Um, so I, being uh, being an engineer, um, I'm one of those types where, you know, I, when I get exposed to something and I don't understand how it works, um, I, I want to figure it out, you know, I want to know how it works. Yes. So I'm going to try and dive into it. So where it's, whenever it's safe to do so, I like to seek experiences. So when I was exposed to the, uh, the concept of past life, you know, regressions and, uh, stuff like that. I, I started reading a couple books and I came upon a book by uh, Dr. Michael Newton. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work. Not. I'm, I'm not familiar with him. Okay. So he was a skeptical hypnotherapist back in the 1950s who did childhood age regressions for traumas. And he had a client come into his office one time who was experiencing stabbing uh, pains. The doctors could not find anything wrong with them. They uh, wrote it off as a psychological and referred him to um, to get psychological help. So this mm-hmm. guy came into Dr. Newton's office and said, you know, can you do anything for these pains I'm having? And Dr. Newton had always, he had turned away people that had sought, you know, topics that he considered woo-woo, like uh, past lives. And so he agreed to see this guy, and he was uh, investigating his childhood, looking for maybe he was stabbed with a knife or something, and they couldn't find anything. So we got to a point where he just basically said, well, go to the source of your stabbing pains. You know, no matter where that is, go now. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, the guy's describing being bayoneted on the World War I uh, battlefield. Wow. And so Dr. Newton was very, uh, you know, c- couldn't quite believe what was happening and got some detailed information about the, you know, the rank, the battalion, uh, the unit, stuff like that. 
And as, as it turns out, it was a real person for the British Army during World War One. Wow. So he got a little bit more warmed up to the concept of, of past lives, and he started see, seeing clients. Well, he eventually had a client who came into his office who not only went into past lives, but she went into the state in between lives where you're conscious in between incarnations. And he figured out that if you regress somebody into a past life, walk them through their, walk them through their death scene and stick with them as they go through that tunnel uh, into the light, you can actually get people to remember their conscious time spent in between incarnations. And so I read his two, yeah, it was fascinating. I read his two books cover to cover, and I thought, well, I got to try this. I want to know what that's like. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, he kind of mapped out, uh, you know, the process that we go through in between incarnations. He, he, you know, uh, he regressed a a couple thousand people over this course of over two decades, independently researched because he didn't want to be tainted by anybody else's uh, opinions or research or beliefs. And he said that pretty much everybody, no matter what their belief system in waking life, said the same things in hypnosis. So they even use some of the same words to describe, you know, different aspects of it. So um, I went to go see a hypnotist that was certified in his regression therapy. And I did three sessions back to back, meet your spirit guide, um, and then two past lives. And... I remember I was very nervous, you know, not quite knowing what to expect about the spirit guide thing, thinking, is it going to, is my spirit guide going to come through the same way in meditation? You know, am I getting anything in my meditations that's accurate? And in my hypnosis session, it it was very similar to a meditation, but it seemed more vivid. Um, It's hard to describe, but it was more rich and more vivid of an experience for Mm -hmm. me. Sort Um, of like lucid dreaming almost. Yeah, yeah, I would say it was between a meditation and lucid dreaming. Lucid mm-hmm. dreaming is even more vivid for me, um, but it was close to that. And uh, when I got met my guide, he appeared exactly the way he always does in meditations. I always see a Native American male, and he kind of said, you know, stop doubting yourself. You're much more connected to me than you could ever possibly imagine. Uh, just trust yourself, you know, so okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So it was a very positive experience, and uh, we did two past lives, and I wanted to know what my most recent past life was because I was curious if I could might be able to research and find out who I was and, you know, maybe get some uh, some information. And then the other one, I wanted to know if there was a past life that was tied to me getting that neurological condition that I came down with in 2010. Right. And so what did you both, find out? So for my most recent past life experience, um, I saw that I was an engineer again. Um <laughs> What she has you do is she kind of has you go through the tunnel and then you descend down to the ground and you plant your feet on the ground and you look down at your shoes and you start describing what you're wearing. She mm-hmm. says there's something very grounding about that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm looking down at my feet. I'm walking on a paved sidewalk. I was wearing brown, you know, leather shoes and khaki pants and a, kind of a nerdy, you know, engineer <laughs> 1970s button short sleeve shirt. I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm an engineer. I just know it. And, uh, and she said, what's your name? And I said, Harold. I'm like, oh, I would never choose that name for myself. <laughs> you know, so a lot of skeptics like to say, well, you know, it's just a fantasy your subconscious mind portrays. And it's like, well, I wasn't getting anything that I would fantasize about. It was very, right. it, one, you, you know. Yeah, you weren't like, you know, Napoleon or, you know, some right. famous 
you know, King Tut or something, right? You're Harold in the exactly. 1970s, an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I was, I was in Florida and I was going for a walk in a, in a park by a lake and there was buildings around me. That was kind of an urban area. And she said, what do you do for a living? And I saw a drafting board laid out before me and a picture of the space shuttle on it. Wow. And I thought that was really cool because when I was a kid, I was fascinated with commercial aircraft. Um, it would make sense if I was a, uh, an aerospace engineer. And yeah. as I grew up, I, I lost interest in that. I got more interested in cars in this life. Mm-hmm. And I became an automotive engineer. Wow. So I could totally see that connection. And I went to school with computers. So never once did I work with big drafting boards like that. Fascinating. Um, so it, but it matched the time era that I, that I saw. And so, but uh, one of the most interesting things that happened was uh, she asked if there was anything, anybody in my life that was special to me. And it was it was the strangest sensation because I grew up as an introverted, shy, very quiet kid, um, very reserved, and I was terrified to talk to people, um, ex- introvert to the extreme. I didn't come out of my shell until college, and I went away to college. I had to meet new friends. I, I was forced into the world where, you know, and I I became more of a social person and. I'm not afraid to talk to people now and I, I can share and, you know, I can even talk in front of groups of people. But that change happened in this life and I've been that way for a couple of years now. Where, but when she asked me, do you have anybody special in your life? That feeling of being introverted and shy and reserved, it all came rushing back. Like, and it hit me like a ton of bricks and I hadn't felt that way in years. So it, it really surprised me because it just kind of, it took me off guard. And it makes perfect sense that if I ended that life in that, that personality, it's like you said, the personality you have when you pass away, you're still that same person. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started out this life. And and that uh, that's absolutely fitting as well, Sean, because what we're trying to do through all these incarnations is to evolve in consciousness and evolve up that ladder. And so it also makes sense that as you were such an introvert in a previous life, your uh, previous life just before this one, that in this one you would start to overcome that. That would be one of the quote-unquote lessons or what have you, but something that you would want to improve upon. So in this lifetime, you learn to be more outgoing. Right. I I just love that. It was a lesson I was trying to learn in that life, but I was failing, Mm -hmm. and um, I was miserable. And I think that uh, my, you know, people say your higher self, um, is kind of helping call the shots about the things that you face in this lifetime to, to basically meet your spiritual goals. Mm-hmm. I got to this point where it was an exit point saying, okay, let's try this again. And I took advantage of it. You know, um, and, and I'm glad you brought up exit points. Those are so fascinating because I don't know, there, there are different schools of thought on this, but I'm glad you brought that up. So the exit points for those who are listening or, and are not familiar with them, those are the different uh, points upon a particular incarnation, a particular life where you can leave, you, you will die. And when you're faced with that choice, you can choose to go or stay. So talk, talk to us a little bit about your experience with your exit points, both in this uh, previous incarnation and this one. So um, in the previous incarnation, um, what I believe is that I was socially introvert shy and I was supposed to be coming out of that shell and I was not. I was resisting it. Mm-hmm. And we have free will and that's, you know, I just wasn't budging. So 
Uh, I got, I, and I was miserable in that life. I, I felt it in the session. It, it did not feel good at all. Again, it wasn't a, some fantasy of my subconscious mind saying, you know, hey, let's be, you know, somebody famous. I, it, you know, working on a space shuttle does sound cool, but I was miserable doing it. Mm. And so she said, go to a point in your life where you are, uh, that's significant. And I don't feel like I flashed forward that much into the future. It was still the 1970s. Uh, I got the impression it was around the mid-1970s. And uh, I was outside of a restaurant with a black and white awning. And there was kind of an urban area. And I was kind of in an alley, uh, like a side rest- or side entrance. And uh, I heard gunshots. And she said, what happens next? And I, I want to investigate. So I went out to the street and I looked down to my left. And there was a 1970s boat type car parked kind of uh, off kilter in like it had stopped abruptly and kind of went into another lane. Mm-hmm. And there, the driver's door was open and there was a woman crouched screaming in distress. And there was a man with a gun somewhere in the vicinity that, you know, had, had fired at her. And so, um, you know, she said, okay, what's next now? I want to help her. So I, it, it was kind of interesting the way that the hypnosis session progressed. It's not like I was moving. It's like I would snap from one place to another. So I was in the alley. Then I snapped to the street corner. Then I snapped, you know, next thing I know, I was laying in the street uh, with blood coming out of my left chest mm. and I shot and I was floating above my body. And so I was going to intervene to help this woman and I, I didn't make it. And I had the, the feeling or the impression that that woman is my current wife. And I don't think, I think she died that day too. Mm. I have no proof of this. It's just the, the intuitive feeling I got from the session. Fascinating. Uh, interesting. Go ahead. Uh, I, uh, just interesting thing to add. I didn't realize until I was driving home that, uh, put, or putting this together, I had a birth defect in my left lung when I was. I was uh, just going to ask you. <laughs> and so I had lung surgery when I was 12 years old to correct it. And I have a big scar there now. Wow. But, uh, so they say birth de- defects and birthmarks are usually a sign of a past life trauma or yep. death wound or whatever. So exactly right. That I was just, I was going to ask you about. That's fascinating. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> that's that's great. Now and and of course that would also tie into some of the neurological issues that you were having in this lifetime as well. Especially when you started uh, getting to a point in your life where you were feeling out of control. You were feeling threatened. You were feeling. Uh, less than and you know that ties into as well you you felt like a failure for not being able to help save this woman in your previous incarnation and she died and now you're with your wife uh you know and now you're feeling like you can't save her again because you're you're unemployed and you're not providing and you're so it's interesting the parallels between the two and how that would bring up a lot of that um what i call viral patterning uh that yeah, that passes from incarnation to incarnation. So that's really, thank you for sharing that. That, that is, uh, that, that's a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, let's uh, change tacks a little bit and talk about remote viewing. That's one of my absolute favorite, favorite topics. And if you get a chance, I just recently did an interview on my radio show with Marty Rosenblatt of the Applied Precognition Project. And we got into a whole discussion about remote viewing. What they're doing with the Applied uh, Precognition Project is really quite fascinating because they're taking the concept of remote viewing. Marty is uh, an applied, or excuse me, an associative remote viewer. And 
uh, an associative remote viewer, you, you may find fascinating because this is being able to associate what's going on uh, and being able to predetermine or have a precognitive uh, hit. So it's not just remote viewing in the traditional sense where you're, you're uh, being able to describe something somewhere remotely. This is actually being able to use remote viewing for future events, which is absolutely fascinating to me. And uh, I know that you're into remote viewing, so check that out if you get a chance. Really good okay. stuff. I've actually tried it. Great. So now, are you familiar with Marty or with the Applied Precognition Project? Uh, very uh, little, but yes, I, 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 I know who he is. I've heard of the project. Um, I haven't really uh, read up on it too much. But, but you did um, try the associative. Um, yeah, uh, it wasn't with him. It was with a group of friends here. Okay. Uh, we figured we would try and see, uh, you know, how it, how it worked for us. You know, if we wanted to try, you know, making a little money on uh, a stock market. Right. Stock so how market. did it go? It was, we got mixed results. Um, we were very new to remote viewing. And so uh, it was, um, it was a learning experience. Um, but I, I had some good sessions, but I also, you know, had some misses. So um we figured, okay, we're not quite ready for this yet, and I haven't tried it again since then. Well, it's interesting that you say that because uh, you might be uh, you might uh, be a little hard on yourself about that. And so, again, get a, if you get a chance, listen to my interview with Marty. We talked a lot about that, and he, that. and uh, yeah, and he was saying, you know, there's obviously no one is a hundred percent. That's that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and he's saying that if you are getting seventy five to eighty percent, that is like phenomenal outstanding right. right and so uh just above 50 50 chance of course you want to be a little above that but he's saying you know if you're if you're hitting you know 55 percent, that's obviously enough of an occurrence above chance i can't remember the exact numbers but it's somewhere around there and then uh as you go you know there are quite a few who are in the 60 percentile and so on um so don't be too hard on yourself you might you might be um uh preventing some more development in that area and and give yourself some credit there because if you're getting you know anywhere in the 50s and 60s you're doing quite well um thank you (laughs) yeah and but you know and the thing is for me and and i talk about this uh, as well i get into a lot of serious topics often but also at the same time we have to to not lose track that this is supposed to be fun and interesting and fascinating and if you approach it as a scientist and what if just like you do well what if we do this what if we do that how does it work how do we deconstruct it how do we find out what's going on and just have fun with it that's when you start having a lot of results oh yeah definitely so let's I think t- fun is the most important part i think right i mean seriously life is too short so uh even if we're going to reincarnate this particular life this is the only one you've got just like this so um when you started getting into remote viewing how did that come about uh, I didn't even know what it was until I saw the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> I had already had some experiences, you know, like I told you with the precognitive visions and all that. So mm-hmm. I was fascinated with it. I was like, wait a minute, they teach you how to do this skill? Is that is this real? Yeah. And the fact that the movie starts with a tagline, more of this is real than you would believe. Yes. And, so, and you know that movie was based off of uh, the Army's Project Stargate program. Right. Um, yeah. In fact, they they say in the DVD extras at the very end of the movie that it, although it's a fictional story, everything that's uh, that takes place in the past, all the flashbacks they do, all of that is based in in truth. Mm-hmm. So exciting! Uh, 
Yeah, so after I saw that movie, I, I started buying books on the subject, and I found David Morehouse's 2008 book uh, that teaches you how to do it. Nice. And that, that was the first, uh, that was my first exposure to learning it and trying it for myself, and I had success. Outstanding. So. I love it. Yeah, I, I have several books myself on remote viewing, and uh, I have different uh, video classes and whatnot, because that one for me is something like like you were talking about earlier where we can actually have verifiable results and for me that's what it's all about even doing the mediumship or doing any type of uh, telepathic or psychic work I want verifiable results because that's what matters when we're doing this yeah my uh, my right brain needed that <laughs> yeah so when when you started exploring the remote viewing and you started to get some hits. There had to have been some excitement there. Talk a little bit about some of your first successes. What what were you trying to do? What were the results? Well, so when I first started doing the remote viewing, my uh, my successes were, uh, if I were to show my session to somebody, you know, they would say, well, that's nothing like your target, you know. But um, well, for example, one of the first targets I was given was, um, I, I wasn't even where this ever happened, but there's a lake, uh, I think it's called Penguar or Penninger or something like that down in the south where in the early 1980s, so this lake drains out into the Gulf of Mexico and there was a, a salt mine underneath the lake that was actively being mined for salt. And one of the petroleum companies had a permit to, dri- to dig uh, or drill test holes looking for oil they had a map of where the salt mine was and so they were supposed to stay clear of that but they got off course and so one of their test holes drilled into the salt mine and the lake began to drain into the salt mine and as it dissolved the salt the hole got bigger and as the hole got bigger the lake began to you know seriously drain so for i think four or five days the river running from uh the lake out to Gulf of Mexico ran backwards and it backfilled with salt water and they evacuated everybody from the mine in time. And then amazingly, I don't think anybody was, was killed, but it was a major ecological disaster. And I had never heard of this before, but that was one, that was one of my targets. Wow. And one of the first uh, flashes I got was, you know, those uh, uh, hand drills where you crank it mm-hmm. with one hand, and the other hand you hold stationary. So the drill is up against what you're doing yes so i got a a flash of an old drill like that and i was getting like really earthy type images um remote viewing is very in my opinion i think it's poorly named because people walk in with this impression that uh well it's like a movie in your head you know Uh you can remote view you should be able to tell me exactly the way everything is Mm -hmm. well it's not like that. Things come through in little bits and chunks, and it mm-hmm. makes no sense to you. You have no context, and which is why you're supposed to write it all down on paper for about an hour and a half, and you yeah. don't put it together until later. Yes. So uh, I got a vortex vision after the drill, and so I, I drew and wrote this all out, you know, and so it, you know, it really, it's not like I had a picture of a lake draining or anything like that, but... Um, I did get like a land water interface and uh, I got the drill. I got the, so it was kind of a symbolic type thing mm-hmm. with the old drill, you know, with this being an old drill from the eighties, whatever. So 
Uh, I was geeked at those results, but it's not anything I can show to anybody and say, hey, look, remote viewing works. They say, <laughs> well, that's, you know, somebody could easily dismiss that. Sure. Um, but you're a beginner. So, what you know, it's a skill. You've got to learn how to communicate with your subconscious mind. And you can't just, you know, you're not going to sit down at the piano and play Beethoven's fifth, you know, the first time. You're going to, you're going to have to baby step and walk, work your way towards it. That is absolutely the truth. And, that is one of the most difficult things for a thing for a lot of people because it's the patience thing, right? They get really interested in something, whether it's telepathy or remote viewing or past life regret, whatever it is, and mm -hmm. they want to be able to just do it right now. Like this is really cool, and I want to be the next Sylvia Brown or the next, you know, James von Prague or whatever, right? And and they they miss the part about how oh guess what you actually you actually have to study this and work at it and practice it and fail a few times and get a few hits and so on and so on and keep at it and uh, a lot of people they just don't want to they they don't want that it's it's very difficult um, because you have to face your ego um, right <laughs> you have to fail and fail often and learn from it and and get up and do it again. Yes. You know, a lot of times when you fail that much, it's really hard to get back up and do it again. You, it's easy to say, well, this is just, this isn't for me. Right. Or you know, it, or it really isn't real. It's just a, you know, yeah. right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about energy healing. When you, uh, first started out with a little delving into a little bit of the alternative medicine, uh, holistic medicine, and you started working with some of the nutritional aspects and then acupuncture, what other energy healing have you experienced? What do you think works? What do you think maybe doesn't? Um, so I think that there is something to all of it. Um, there are various energy healing techniques. Um, I've been exposed to acupuncture, Reiki, pranic healing. Um, I think one time I tried the reconnective. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, but... And in, in, in each one is different from the others. You know, there's uh, there's just different techniques, different ways of doing things. And a lot of times people will, uh, they'll find what works for them and then they latch onto it and they say, well, this is the way things are. This is the right way because mm. it works for me. Mm. And they, I, th I think that the universe is much more inclusive than that. I We're agree. all different and you got to pick the right tool for the right job. So... Reiki might be great for certain things. Pranic healing might be great for other things. Acupuncture might be great for other things, but it doesn't mean any one of them is better than the other. Uh, they're just, they're all unique in their own right, and they all have their best applications and the applications that maybe aren't, you know, ideal. Mm -hmm. So I try to be um, open-minded when I'm exposed to something new. And if something works for me, great. You know, I'll pursue it more. If not, I don't judge it as wrong or uh you know, not working. I just say that just, you know, that didn't work for me and I'll, you know, I'll move on. So, uh, I've, I've actually learned a little bit how to practice pranic healing. Um, and I've had success with that. Like I, I've gotten rid of my wife's headaches before. Um, one of my friends had a, a pain in her leg from running and, uh, she, we, she was uh, doing remote viewing with me. And so she was complaining about this pain in her leg. And I said, Hey, you mind if I try some pranic healing? She said, yeah, I guess. Sure. You know, so uh, I, I did a quick, you know, five minute, you know, sweeping and uh, clearing and uh, and her pain was gone and it didn't come back. So that was kind of cool. Very cool. Very, very so. cool. 
Now, you actually decided to become a certified hypnotist. Right. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, so when I was exposed to the past life regressions, um, again, like I was telling you earlier, where it's safe to do so, I like to seek experiences and I like to learn as much as I can about them. Mm-hmm. So I was so fascinated with the experience of hypnosis that um, I wanted to know more about it. So I found an online class that, uh, you know, it's cheaper to learn things online than to go in person. And, yes. Uh, through Steve G. Jones, um, the American Alliance of Hypnotists. And he had a basic uh, hypnosis certification class. And it was an eight-week course. And um, I was like, you know what? I want to do this. And so I signed up for the class and I took it. And uh, you have to go through a mock hypnosis session. Uh, and it was for something like losing weight. You know, so I had to write like a weight, lifts, weight loss script and record it on an MP3 as though I was talking to a client. And I sent that in uh, along with a, you know, a, a test that um, allowed me to pass the course. And so once I got my uh, certification, um, I, I I don't have a practice or anything. I'm, I, you know, I've, I've got a full time day job and, and two little girls now. So right. um, I don't I don't. I haven't uh, decided to take time away from my free time to actively go out and practice, but I use it for, you know, kind of a hobby. And uh, I've, you know, I've hypnotized my wife a couple of times for um, just to, you know, try things out. One time she was having problems with, uh, she was getting like these red rashes that were really itchy and she couldn't figure out what, what was causing them. And so I said, yeah, let's, you know, let's try and see if hypnosis can give us any answers. So she was okay. And we, uh, you know, I just, it didn't take very long, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And once she got into the hypnotized state, I just said, we're going to look for an impression that will lead to a hint of what is causing uh, these rashes. And she saw a jar of pickles, which was kind of weird because she doesn't even like pickles. We don't have pickles in the house. And she didn't really get anything more than that. I kind of probed and looked for, you know, looked for other prompts and all that. But when we were done with the session, she's like, I got an idea. So she went to the refrigerator and we had a jar of pickled peppers. Um, oh. So she was looking at the ingredients and took it upstairs, and she was looking at all of her personal products. And uh, there was a lotion that she had been using for a while now, but it, the common ingredient between the two was sodium benzoate, if I recall correctly. And that was the only common ingredient with all of her stuff, and it was this one lotion. So she stopped using that lotion, and the rashes stopped. Wow. So. I mean, it's a bizarre, weird way of getting an answer, but it worked. But it's fun and exciting <laughs> at the same time because, yeah. I mean, how cool is that, really? It, it was. Um, so, I, you know, it would have been nice if it would have been a more direct answer, but <laughs> whatever. Yes, so. right? Uh, that's the, I often joke about that when I'm, you know, I, I say to, you know, what, what seem, some people call God or, you know, I call source and I say, I don't want any parables and riddles and metaphors and allegories and all that nonsense. I, I just want a really straightforward, just, I don't want any guesswork here. Just give it, you know, concrete answers. So, <laughs> so I get so, it, you know. Yep. And, uh, with my work in remote viewing, uh, I, I can kind of see, you know, cause I've, I've dabbled in hypnosis and remote viewing. I can kind of see how it falls together. You know, our, right. our subconscious mind speaks its own language. It ha- almost has its own personality. Yes. And uh, our, our dreams come through the subconscious mind. So there's a lot of books on dream symbolism. Remote viewing, I've had symbolic things come up. So it, it really doesn't surprise me too much that in hypnosis, she got a symbolic type of an answer 
that ended up leading to us figuring out. That's so. exactly right. And, you know, as you were mentioning earlier, as we're doing remote viewing, those that comes through in symbols. As And as uh, I'm doing mediumship work, that comes through as symbols because oftentimes you're communicating with people from different cultures, different languages, uh, sometimes even different realms. So a lot mm. of things come through in symbol. And it also is just a natural way of the thought process, right? Because if I say elephant, for example, what pops into your mind? You you picture an elephant. You don't sit there and go E-L-E. You know, right. it, we don't work that way. And so you're absolutely right that, of course, we're going to look at symbols and and be able to, and that's why it's so important. Again, we come back to, you have to do a lot of practice, sometimes failing when you're doing practice in these areas is figuring out just how to read the symbols. What does that actually mean? Yep. Yep, exactly. And uh, you, you might be interested in this one too. Um, so when I learned remote viewing with a couple of friends and so uh, including my wife and we actually um, decided to try uh, using hypnosis for a remote viewing session one time ah. just for fun. And it was, it was a really uh, unique and fun experience. Um, haven't had anything like that again. We haven't done it again either, which we should do that again. But um, have you, are you familiar? It was a fun target too. Are you familiar with the pyramid that they found uh, half a mile below the ocean off the coast of Cuba back in right. 2000? Yes, that's right. So I decided to use that as a target. Um, so, and my friend that uh, uh, that learned remote viewing with us was going to be our test subject. So I was the administrator and she was the, the viewer. And she was kind of, I had the idea when she was complaining about how when she does a remote viewing session, writing on the paper, uh, you know, you get these intuitive flashes in your mind and then you have to sit there and write and draw. And she was kind of frustrated with, well, I'm in my mind and then I got to write and then I got to draw. She's like, I just want to stay in my mind. And I was like, well, maybe, uh, you know, because I had heard about extended remote viewing, which is very similar to what we did. Um, you just lay down and you're uh, you're talking out loud and recording. And then after you're done with your session, you draw and write anything that you want to remember. Um, so we did a hypnosis session that way where I got her into light hypnosis state. I assigned her the target coordinates and just, uh, you know, again, you're always blind in a remote viewing session. That's the most important part mm -hmm. is you can't know what your target is. And so I gave her these tar target coordinates, which was random numbers I had made up. And immediately, you know, I said, okay, so now where are you? And she said, well, I feel like I'm underwater. I was like, <laughs> okay, we're on the right spot. <laughs> so I didn't say that. Uh, I said, well, describe, you know, what, you know, what you're seeing or, you know. And so she described how she was underwater. There was all this coral and growth. As she said it wasn't natural. There was something man-made to it. Uh, something was there that wasn't supposed to be there. And she didn't describe a pyramid at any time. But um, so I said, well, let's go uh, backward in time to, you know, to when this target makes the most sense. And she said, OK, well, I'm on land now. And there's these buildings and structures around. And I said, well, let's go. Let's go into one. And, you know, what draws your attention to it most? And so she was going around this building with people working and they were working on some sort of a. Uh, of an aircraft it was just uh wow. it was a bizarre experience but when we first entered into the building 
there was a uh it, it's so when people are remote viewed they were not aware of it uh that's why the military loved it so much because you can get in and out and nobody's ever knew, known that you were there right but when she uh went into this uh building um there was a presence uh there that basically said um what are you doing here uh-huh. you know, basically. so we had to basically say we're just here to explore we're not here to uh you know, interfere. We're not here to do anything. We're just, we're just exploring, you know? So it, at that point it was, it was kind of a reluctant, okay. You know? And wow. so it was, it was kind of an interesting, I, I have zero way to prove or give any feedback other than, you know, this, this kind of a interesting experience we had, but, um, well, you it, know, and the thing that, you know, I run into that as well, doing the work I do and, there are often times where uh, I do readings. I can absolutely understand where you're coming from because I do readings and it cannot be empirically proven from a third party. However, what's happening is as I'm sitting with someone and giving them validating information, information I couldn't possibly know, and I'm giving explicit detailed information, whether it's names or the way someone died or a particular uh, item that means something to both of them to validate that they are actually present. That is, um, it's validated and it's real in that the person I'm reading for, we're both witnessing that, right? So it's not just something I'm doing all by myself in a room and I'm just saying, oh, this is what happened. Uh, so there are people who witness this actually happening, especially if I'm reading for more than one person or there are other people sitting there uh, to witness it as well. So we have uh, those people who can witness and I have information that goes beyond just some vague, oh, this person misses you and they say they love you. I don't do that. I'm talking about real validating evidence. But no matter what, in, in the true strictest sense of the scientific world, that's still anecdotal evidence, right? So yep. that's where it gets frustrating because it's like, these, these things are actually really happening. Uh, we just have to get to a point where we can um, get get science on the same page or a little bit more um, oh, that would be wonderful. Right? <laughs> right. So I think that's what it's, some of us like you and I are supposed to be doing is bridging that gap between the physics and metaphysics and really bridging these the, these two worlds together. You know, it, it's incredibly frustrating to uh, become aware of all of this stuff and have these positive, uh, you know, validations to the experiences that we have and then Absolutely. to not really be able to talk to that many people about it. Right. Right, um, because you're the crazy person. <laughs> right, exactly. So, and so yeah. I'd, I'd love to, to wrap up the show with, um, I'm going to read, uh, it's a quote. It's, it's, I guess it's not really a quote per se, but it's uh, one part of the message that you actually wrote to me. And it was so profound to me. Uh, it was one of the deciding factors where I really wanted to reach out to you and have you on the show. So uh, I'm going to read it in two parts because I wanted to comment on the first part. Now, again, this answer that you gave me for transpersonal radio listeners, for all of you out there, to give context, this is in direct relation to a question that I was asking about input for the paranormal television show and what would make a really great show. What Sean said is, I would like to see a show that doesn't just present another mystery and leave it at that. What about a show that digs deeper. I don't know, just a thought. Like I said, the engineer in me is always asking why and how. So 
that's what I try to do on transpersonal radio. I try to dig deep. I try to get in and say, you know, let's really talk about something and not just do a surface overview of it or just say, well, there is a possibility about remote viewing, but I don't know, who knows, you know, this kind of thing. No, I really want to get in and get examples and get uh, experiences. And you've done wonderful with that this evening. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. I feel as though you have so many more stories. We could probably sit here another few hours and <laughs> just keep going. I love talking um, about this stuff. Right. So do I. That's why I have a radio show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Well>. But... <laughs> Right. But here's the part that was so profound for me that I so appreciate that I wanted to share with the world. You say, I think in today's modern society, we might have more potential of getting further than ever before in digging deeper. We just need to be brave enough to ask those tough questions and set aside the fear we have about what the answers might be. And that was just so profound. I love that. Well, thank you. So thank you for that. And Transpersonal Radio listeners, take that to heart. We need to be brave enough to ask those tough questions and set aside the fear we have about what the answers might be because the answers might be amazing and inspirational and life-changing and wonderful. So, Sean, you found that to be the case in your journey, right? Because you started out sort of skeptical and also a little fearful and yet now you've had so many amazing experiences and stories. It has been the most rewarding journey of my life. Yes, it's profound. So, Sean, I want to thank you so much for being on the show this evening, sharing with us some of your insight, your experiences, your stories. And if people would like to get a hold of you and ask you some more in-depth questions about some of the experiences you've had, whether it was the haunting in your home or uh, the ghosts, the apparitions, or the remote viewing experiences, past life experiences. Uh, maybe they'd like to talk to you about uh, the clinical hypnotherapy or the, the hypnotism. How can people reach you if they would like to discuss any of these topics with you further? Uh, yeah, my email address is srmahoney007 at gmail.com. Fantastic. And I will make sure that I put that in the show notes. So uh, Transpersonal Radio listeners, you can find the information there. And Sean, I just want to thank you once again for being on the show this evening. It was an absolute pleasure. It was an honor. Thank you. Transpersonal Radio listeners, again, make sure you reach out to Sean if you have any more questions about what he is up to right now. As he said, he is not actually practicing as a clinical uh, hypnotist right now or a certified hypnotist right now beyond uh, doing it as a hobby. So uh, as I usually do, I give a website of where to go. Uh, he's not doing that at this time. However, if you're interested in what he's doing and anything that we talked about this evening, feel free to reach out to him. And you never know in the future, he might actually end up doing that. So stay Stay in contact, find out what's going on there. And as always, until next week, thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Trans Transpersonal Radio. If you'd like to suggest a future future topic or be a guest, visit transpersonalradio.com. Call the hotline at 619-800-6057 or, or like our page, facebook.com slash transpersonalradio.